0: This is 15 Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs, featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15 Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Christopher Rose, with the Department of History. My guest in the studio is Ahmad al-Jalad, who is a professor of Arabic at the University of Leiden in the Netherlands. He's also an epigraphist who has worked at archaeological sites in the Arabian Peninsula and Jordan. And he's here today to tell us about some of his recent finds and the new light they're shedding, both on our understanding of the Arabic language, as well as the early history of Islam. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. It's good to be back. You've been with us before, and we'll we'll have a link on the website to the previous episode where you described what we're learning about the earliest history of the Arabic language. But in the past 10 years, there have been a lot of changes in our understanding of the earliest history of Arabic with these new inscriptions that your team in particular is finding. What are they doing? How are they changing the
0: field? It's a very exciting time to be working in this field because every year uh, has the potential to um, produce a discovery that will completely change everything. And so in some respects, the talk I gave here two years ago was already outdated. Wow. And okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll delete it from the website then. <laughs> but, it, but it's not wrong. It's just that a lot of the questions I asked in that, uh, in that interview... We can actually answer, or at least come close to an answer, now. Okay. And so, one of the themes was where did the Arabic script come from, and the writing tradition associated uh, with um, with early Islam. Basically, after the uh, Arab armies leave the Arabian Peninsula and establish the, uh, the, the the Caliphate in the Near East, they have a full fledged, uh, fully fledged administrative tradition in the Arabic language. Uh, the Arabic script is fully developed and has its own um, spelling conventions and orthographic uh, practices. And so we wanted to know where this all came from. It couldn't have just developed in the, in, in the short period after the conquest. There certainly must have been some kind of pre-Islamic um, uh, tradition of doing administration in Arabic and the use of the Arabic script. Now, until very recently, you know, if you open up a, a, a book on the subject that was published uh, 20 years ago or even uh, 15 years ago, there were only three examples of the Arabic script before Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, Graffito from a uh, uh, Jebel uh, Sais in southern Syria. It's an extinct volcano on the the cone. There's a small graffito there written by a soldier who was dispatched to this area um, by Al-Harith al-Malik, a Hassanid king, an Arab king from uh, from the southern Levant. And he wrote that he was stationed here and, and he gave the date as 528 CE. Very small text and informative in terms of how the Arabic script looked at the time, but it didn't give us a lot more to work with. And then two other inscriptions, one from uh, Zebed uh, near Aleppo in northern Syria and the other uh, from Harran in southern Syria near actually Jebel Useis. And both of these texts are very short and they're just they're dedications. And that's all we had. And so all of the uh, attempts to explain the origins of the Arabic script uh, were based on little to no data, right? Just uh, trying to imagine a situation that would lead to that. And in the last, with the uh, surveys going on in the Arabian Peninsula, in Saudi Arabia and in Jordan, our knowledge of the development of Arabic has ex- uh, advanced uh, incredibly, exponentially, really. Um, in the last, uh, in 2010, uh, a scholar of uh, Nabataean epigraphy and early Arabic epigraphy as well, uh, Leila Na'me produced a fantastic article describing the transition from Nabataean Aramaic to Arabic in Northwest Arabia. And she identified a lot of inscriptions that show traits, that show features that are partially Nabataean, Aramaic and, part, and on the way to Arabic. So this was the missing link. But we still had no inscriptions in the Arabic script proper from Arabia. It was just these three in um, in Syria. And in 2014, the uh, Franco-Saudi team doing surveys around Najran in uh, in southern Arabia discovered a number of texts in the early Arabic script. They're all graffiti. Very short texts, mostly personal names and and short benedictions, but they showed that the Arabic script was fully developed at the end of the fifth century and early sixth century. And these texts were dated to this period using the era of the province of Arabia. So, whoever wrote these texts, they must have been travelers from the north; they weren't locals. Mm -hmm. But now we have a larger corpus. We have we have the inscriptions in Syria and the inscriptions in Najran. And in 2017, Leila Na'me published an inscription from Dumat al-Jandal. This is the first. Dumat al-Jandal is an oasis in North Arabia, and it is the first text, the first Arabic script inscription from North Arabia. Uh, and this text read zakara uh, al-Ilah," so may the God, and this is the name of the uh, of the, uh, the, the the Christian God in pre-Islamic Arabic, al-Ilah, the God, literally, uh, be mindful of, and a personal name, and it was dated sixth century C.E. Now, what's interesting about all of these inscriptions now is that they all seem to be produced by Christian Arabs. The inscription at Dumat al jaddal bears crosses. The inscriptions from Najran, many of them have crosses, and the inscriptions from Syria were all Christian, except for the graffito of Jebel Usays so We can't really identify what the faith of its author uh, was. So, and then beyond this. Amateur Saudi uh, adventurers, uh, let's say, have been exploring the Arabian Peninsula and photographing texts and putting them online. And we're seeing more and more inscriptions in the early Arabic script. These still await proper scholarly study, but we know that they exist and there's certainly more uh, to be found. And so we're seeing that, in fact, the Arabic script was widespread in the 6th century all across Arabia and in, in the Southern Levant and even in Syria it's an, it's an incredible uh, uh, advance in our understanding of the development and distribution of Arabic writing. Yeah,
1: one of the discoveries that you've been uh, writing and, and talking about recently uh, is one that mentions Yazid I. first. Um, and can you can you describe the Yazid ex- inscription and why it's important? Um, and I should also add here that for context, Yazid is one of the first. Uh, caliphs, one of the first viceroys who who succeeds Muhammad, uh, ruling from Damascus. uh, Up until pretty much the discovery of the Birmingham Koran, there were theories going around that he was actually the author of the text or the compiler of the text. So uh, he's kind of an an important figure. um, And you've actually found contemporary textual evidence of him.
0: Well, that's what I think. Okay. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. But I'll, I'll – uh, so the Yazid inscription is a, a fantastic story. Um, it was discovered uh, uh, about 14 kilometers from the site of uh, Qasr Burqa in eastern Jordan. Okay. And this uh, – Qasr Burqa was an original Roman fort that was renovated and became an Amayyad fort and, and hunting lodge. Um, it's on the panhandle on the way to Iraq. Uh, so I was in Jordan in April uh, with uh, a colleague from uh, Oxford University. And we went out to this site, to Qasr Burqa, to do surveying. And uh, when we got there, there was too much water, too much mud, and we couldn't go any further. So we weren't able to go on the survey. But uh, several colleagues of mine from Jordan, Yunus Ziad Ziyad Salamin, and Rafa uh were able to survey there in the summer. And they discovered a fantastic inscription in a script that wasn't immediately identifiable. And so they sent the inscription to me for identification and decipherment. And once I saw it, I immediately realized its significance. The text was in a form of the early Arabic script. Next to the text was a cross. So it looked very much like the pre-Islamic inscriptions that I had just mentioned. But its content and some of its uh, orthographic features, its spellings, Make its identification as a pre-Islamic text a bit difficult. So the text begins with a cross, and it reads zakara al Ilah Yazidu al Malik. So zakara al Ilah, may the God al Ilah, again the name of the Christian God in uh, in Arabic, and in, uh, in these inscriptions, be mindful of Yazidu. So it's Yazid with this final u sound, this wow, which is typical of personal names from the pre-Islamic period. Something scholars call wawation and al-Malik, the king. So may God be mindful of Yazid, the king. The inscription is not dated. We don't get any other information about who this Yazid might be. Uh, Now, the features of this text are incredibly interesting because they don't have any parallels in any of the uh, pre-Islamic texts that I've discovered. And now we're not talking about a small number. There's quite a large number of pre-Islamic, 6th century Arabic script texts. This inscription the author puts dots on top of the dal and the dal. So on top of the D letter and the the letter, the author puts a dot. And this is reminiscent of an Aramaic practice. Mm-hmm. It's an ancient practice. In the Nabataean inscriptions, authors would do this to distinguish the D from the R, which looked identical. In the Arabic script, the D and the R are very different, but the practice remains sort of as a fossil. This is our first attestation. Of this um, of this practice in the Arabic script, it's not and it's it's archaic, but it's not found in any of the sixth century inscriptions. Another thing that's very interesting about this text is the author uses a dot to mark the hamza. And the Hamza is the glottal stop. This is a, a feature that there's no way to mark the glottal stop in the Quran. People have hypothesized that the original dialect of the Quran didn't have this feature. Grammarians uh, later on invent a sign for it. But um, Frédéric Imbert, a, um, a French uh, epigraphist and, and, and uh, scholar of early Arabic inscriptions, identified this feature, the dot for this glottal stop in several 7th century texts uh, graffiti from arabia and he calls it the proto hamza and our text here has that feature so it's a 7th century feature in our uh, well yazid inscription and so the the text is incredibly interesting for the history of the arabic uh, script the identification of yazid though is really what makes the text phenomenal
1: well okay and so that that's the next question so we have yazid the king yeah um, how do we
0: know that this is Yazid the first? That's true. Yeah. How how do we know? Well, uh, the term al-Malik in pre-Islamic inscriptions can refer to a, a ruler, a leader, um, uh, not just any minor prince, but but you know a a, a chieftain, a sheikh. Um, so, we, can, oh, we always have to admit the possibility that this is just someone we've never heard of. Mm-hmm. That's always possible. But given that if we look at all the other inscriptions that have maliks, there has always been a plausible identification for who that malik is in the um, historical record. So, this would be a, an example of a, of a, of a completely unknown malik, um, uh, possible but without uh, precedence. Now, we could say, all right, dhaqarah al-ilah, this formula, this structure is common in the 6th century. We don't see it in the 7th century, and it has a cross, and we know that all of the, the pre-Islamic inscriptions have crosses, so maybe it's a pre-Islamic text. Well, in the 6th century, there are two plausible Yazids who could be called kings. The the first is a, a Yazid who is called uh, khalifat or a deputy, a governor of Kinda. Uh, appointed, uh, th- this was a a, a person appointed uh, to rule over Kinda, a a south central Arabian tribe, by um, uh, the Ethiopian rulers of South Arabia, Abraha, and uh, this Yazid rebels against Abraha, um, and then is defeated and then re- and, and pledges loyalty again to him. Um, now uh, all of these events happen. In South Arabia. right? So maybe it's the same Yazid, but we would have to imagine someone from South Arabia went all the way up to uh, Northern Jordan and, uh, and and carved this uh, inscription, a blessing his ruler. It's possible, but again, there's no precedence of anything like this uh, uh, happening in the pre-Islamic period. The second Yazid is mentioned in Anonymous. This was a, uh, a Roman diplomat uh, who went on missions around the Red Sea he was sent as an ambassador to a certain Qaisos or Qais, a Hudrid ruler who was chief of uh, Kinda and Ma'ad, but his exact identity remains unknown. This Qais had two sons, Amr and Yazid. So it's possible that the son Yazid is our Yazid al-Malik, but again, it's far away. There's no evidence that this son took the title Malik, for example, or, or and again, we would have to imagine some kind of a scenario where one of his followers or something wandered up into, into this area and carved an inscription, blessing his ruler, uh, for who is very far away. No precedent for that. So the 6th century provides us with a couple of Yazids, but none of them are really compelling. Now, considering that Qasr Burqa was an Umayyad site, we might consider a 7th century Yazid. And the first, I think, uh, real candidate for that is Yazid I. Mm-hmm. And we can actually put together some some very good arguments for why this text refers to Yazid 1. It is a Christian inscription, that's true, but Yazid's mother was a Christian from the uh, tribe of Kalb, a monophysite uh, uh, Arab tribe that lived in the Syrian steppe. He married two uh, Ghassanid uh, princesses, and the Ghassanids were a Christian Arab tribe. Uh, His inner circle... His uh, closest companions were, were, were Christians. Uh, the manager of his, his personal affairs was Sarjun, the father of John of Damascus. Uh, his drinking companion was Al Akhtal, a famous uh, Christian poet. And uh, he was held in high regard uh, by the, the Christian communities that he ruled. In fact, a in Byzantine Arab Chronicle from 741, uh, but certainly goes back to an earlier source, uh, has this to say about Yazid. When Muawiyah died, the son Yazid took his place for three years. He was a most pleasant man and deemed highly agreeable by all the people subject to his rule. He never, as his want of men, sought glory for himself because of his royal rank, but lived as a citizen along with the common people. It was a translation by Robert Hoyland. So we can see that uh, he had a good relationship with the Christian community. And finally, the the Syrian army of the Umayyads was made up mostly by uh, uh, tribesmen from uh, from Kelb, Christian tribes. And so it is possible that this inscription was carved by an Umayyad soldier stationed in this area, perhaps patrolling around the qasr, uh, a Christian soldier from the tribe of Kalb, who, uh, perhaps pausing on his patrol, carved a, an inscription saluting uh, his leader, uh, Yazid I, who, from the point of view of a Christian uh, subject, was al-Malik, the king. You're really painting a great picture of the sort of religious landscape of
1: this region after the conquest. There's a lot of assumption that the Muslims come in and suddenly everybody becomes Muslim and that really isn't the case.
0: Is that sort of what you're finding based on these various inscriptions? Well, I think, you know, following that point, but focusing on the Arabic script and uh, the Christian identity of early Arabic and pre-Islamic Arabic, we have this assumption that once Islam appears, everything that was Arabic became Muslim and synonymous right. with, with Muslim. Now, what's interesting, this is, this is an interesting uh, 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 question. Of course, our knowledge is incomplete and we have to be humble about that because we haven't surveyed every inch of Arabia. But from what we can see now, whenever the religious identity of an inscriber of an inscription is clear, and I'm talking about Arabic inscriptions from the 6th century, pre-Islamic Arabic script inscriptions from the 6th century, they're Christian. We don't have any evidence yet of references to pagan gods in 6th century Arabic script inscriptions. In fact, the uh, Arabic script and indeed the Arabic language seemed to be a, a, a perfectly legitimate way to express Christian identity across the Arabian Peninsula. Remember, inscriptions with crosses from Najran, from Dumat al-Jandal, from Syria. Across the Arabian Peninsula, we have the use of the Arabic language in the Arabic script as an expression of Christian identity. Well, this is a
1: fascinating point, because according to tradition, Arabia was mostly polytheistic. You hear pagan gods, Mecca as the big pagan center, a couple Jewish tribes, a couple Christian tribes, but the inscriptions seem to show to write Arabic is to to be Christian. How do you reconcile tradition with what you're finding?
0: Well, I think it's very important to emphasize that our knowledge is incomplete and that we shouldn't come to, uh, uh, let's say, um, drastic revisionist conclusions yet. But what we can say, we can say positively is that the Arabic script and language were uh, recognized ways of expressing Christian identity. Now, because we haven't found inscriptions produced by pagans yet and with references to pagan gods may just be uh, the result of a a gap in documentation. There are huge parts of the peninsula that haven't been surveyed. But if it is the case that this distribution holds, even with new um, discoveries, then there's a lot uh, of rethinking needed, I think. But Given that, even when we look at all of these inscriptions that are Christian, they are different in their details from what ends up becoming the uh, Islamic hand of the 7th century. That is, inscriptions produced by Muslims. For example, in these ins- uh, Christian inscriptions, we have Aramaeograms, That is, Aramaic words fossilized that are used um, and were probably read out as Arabic, but that are used in these inscriptions. Um, the spelling conventions are a bit different. For example, uh, personal names end in wows which is an old Nabataean practice, with the exception of the Ahnas papyrus, all other texts from the 7th century produced by Muslims do not have this feature. This is what led the scholar Christian Robin to suggest that there was a script reform, removing many of these elements and making the script more efficient and more capable of expressing language clearly so that it could be used for administration. Now that's possible. But until now, until the Yazid inscription, it would seem that immediately in the 7th century, following the conquests, All of the Christian stuff just disappeared and it was just Muslim. That's very weird. We would expect some transitional period where both coexist before the uh, prestige attached to the Islamic hand dominated and led to the extinction of all the other varieties. And the Yazid inscription may be just that. It may suggest that this tradition of writing Christian Arabic, that is, uh, the Arabic uh, conventions used by Christians before Islam persisted into the 7th century, but were communal, perhaps just used by Christians. Maybe they survived at Arabic speaking and writing churches or in those kinds of of uh, circles. We don't have any evidence for that yet, except for our interpretation of this inscription. But if that's true, then it would mean that the Christian Arabic of the sixth century survived a bit longer and existed side by side, the Muslim hand, until finally giving way uh, because of the prestige attached to what I would call official or imperial Arabic, right? The Arabic of the Umayyads, Mm -hmm. perhaps after the reforms of Abd al-Malik. And so this would be the latest example of pre-Islamic Christian Arabic, let's say, that crossed the pre-Islam-Islam boundary and was produced by a pious Christian soldier serving a Muslim king. This is
1: fascinating, and we'll have to have you back in two more years to see how much of this has been completely altered once again. Uh, It's been a pleasure having you back in the studio with us. My pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much, and thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. For a transcript of this episode, images, and links to more information, visit our website at 15minutehistory.org. That's the numerals five minutehistoryorg You can access our full catalog of episodes free of charge at our website, and through the iTunes U app for iOS or the Tunes Viewer app for Android. You can also access the 10 most recent episodes through the Apple Podcasts app, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, and Overcast. 15-Minute History is produced in partnership between Not Even Past and the Hemisphere's Outreach Consortium. Our executive editor is Joan Newberger, and our technical editor is Christopher Rose. Our audio engineers are the awesome folks in the liberal arts instructional technology services, Jacob Weiss, Morgan Honaker, Will Kurtzner, Samantha Skinner, and Michael Heidenreich. Special thanks also to Michael DeLeon, iTunes U site administrator with Project 2021 and educational innovation. The University of Texas at Austin is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in episodes of 15-Minute History do not represent the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.